Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach, and within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I'm joined by my fearless co-host, Kristen Williams. Ah, Hey, Laura. Hey, everyone. So we've got great questions. The first one is Chris Wong Yoga. She asks, what do you think inversion during pregnancy, first, second, and third trimester, especially for the regular practitioner? So I get this question a lot because we do so many inversions in our lit practice, uh, specifically handstands and also forearm balances, no headstands. And what I have found is it really just depends on the person and their comfort level with it. If they have no contraindications from a doctor, like there's no placenta previa, there's no issues with blood pressure or anything like that, I think it's absolutely fine to do in those first and second trimester. As you get into the third trimester, I think it again, there are people who practice all the way up till giving birth. I know some of them. They came to the studio. It's That's where it really becomes um, a personal choice, how it feels. Because as we know, the inversions do require some good core engagement, and you start to lose that ability. You still can use those abdominals, but you're, you've got this um, bigger mass, your, your center of gravity and center of mass is off-centered. 
So it might feel just really kind of clunky and awkward. But I have seen um, some yogis, as I said, doing it in that third trimester. I was, I can't speak from experience. I wasn't doing handstands when I was pregnant. I didn't, I didn't know how to do them. I didn't think I would ever do them. And I taught myself after having my second son um, or second child. But I think that, again, it's a personal choice. If it's been in your practice and you're comfortable with it, continue it, especially if it makes you feel empowered. We want to feel empowered in our pregnancy. But if you feel like, oh, I love doing handstands. Now I'm just not sure. And you feel at all tentative, be okay with that too, because pregnancy is just a temporary time. You will get it back. It'll be like riding a bike. You'll get your core muscles back engaged and then get back on the horse, so to speak. But do you have any other comments about that? No, I think your comment about the center of gravity is is key. I mean, your center of gravity, when you have that weight there, it's going to throw you off. So to me, it becomes, it becomes a personal choice and a safety issue. Like, you know, I'm, I'm always one to weigh the pros and cons. Like, do the pros outweigh the cons? And, um, you know, so could there be a safety issue if you happen to fall or if you happen to hang a little bit more in your ligaments because you don't have that proprioception with all of the relaxing and the hormones that are, you know, I'm the same as you. I wasn't a handstander when I was pregnant, but I was a runner. And I look back and I knew better. I, I knew that I had relaxed and I knew I would be hypermobile, comparatively speaking. And I tried running because I was just so bound and determined, again, an ego thing, I think, to stay where I was. And I truly, and then I went right back into running after I got out. That's the other thing we be mindful of. When you're pregnant, it's one thing, but when you're nursing, you still got all those hormones going. Yeah, you don't have the center of uh, center of mass issue, but you still have this now completely confused core that isn't integrated as well. And I was, I my goal was to I'm going to run a marathon before that baby turns one. And I really believe that I hurt my back for the rest of my life where I have to be careful and running. I, I I'm now a run walker because of my back, because it, it just feels once you stretch ligaments, they don't really return to their prior state. They can, you can develop some scar tissue and you can always rehab around and you can really, I mean, lit changed my core life from where I was from being a super athletic runner to then starting lit, I am so much stronger in my core than I ever was, but I have back pain. I have back pain. The first I have back and pelvic pain, the first couple days of my period, because that's the same type of thing where those hormones kick in to shed the lining. And I personally believe whether that's true or not, I believe it's because of what I did while I was pregnant. And right after I just wasn't smart. And like you said, it's a temporary thing. So listen to your body be aware of the fact that this is going to, it's going to go away and you're going to be back to your handstands and your running or whatever it is at some point in time. But think of the long term and weigh the pros and cons and go with your gut. I love that. And I, I'll add to that because I remember in PT school, I had a, one of my wonderful instructors and she gave the example of that she was also a long distance runner. At that time, I was a long distance runner. And I was thinking, even though I was 25, whenever I'm pregnant, I'm going to keep running. And she said, you know, there's a lot of people that continue to do that. And it's not that they don't have the fortitude. It's that their body is changing. You're not going to hurt the baby. But to your point, you could really hurt yourself. And is it worth it 
just to have that like rah, rah, like I'm going to still run because you're running with a lot more weight, a lot less support, and it's going into your joints, into your ligaments. And I remember her saying that and I thought, okay, I'm going to remember that. I'm not going to run when I'm pregnant, even though I had come into that whole discussion thinking, well, of course I will because I'm strong. So in that note, it is, it is like, think about yourself. You, you, even if you say fall out of a handstand, your baby's going to be fine. There's a lot of protection there, but you could hurt yourself. You could overstretch something. Um, and, and then that recovery will be much longer. And so it, give yourself some grace when you're pregnant. You do not have to sit on the couch, eat ice cream by any means. You can still exercise and stay strong. And it's actually super important to do that if you have no contraindications. But you might not just continue these more challenging things that really do require that core engagement, like running, like handstanding. So yeah. All right. You got the next question. I do. This is our dear friend, Jessica Westberg. She said, um, would you mind explaining the relationship, the connection between the shoulder and the opposite glute? I don't know if we spoke about it in level one, which we probably did. She said, this was, this is our level one lit training. She's currently in our level two, but I think there's a relationship, right? I had a one-on-one the other day where the student, the student couldn't activate her left glute at all. It was super interesting to see that. And the opposite shoulder was much more unstable than the other. And I wonder if those two things may have been connected in some way. And so I think this is a very astute uh, observation on her part. And uh, the answer to that is absolutely, you know, our body, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of theories out there on, on how we work. And one of those is that kind of cross, um, I don't know what the exact there is. What's that term? Cross, um, yeah, it's like a fascial sling, you know, it, it is. A- sling, that's exactly what it is. Where you have the right shoulder in a sling with the left hip and vice versa. And it, and you know, when you think about the biomechanics or just the structure of the body, it mirrors a lot of architectural structures for support. And you think about bridges and how they have all those X, you know, that, that is for support. And so you do need a balance between the right shoulder. I mean, and it doesn't always have to go along that diagonal, but we do see it. You know, we will see somebody when they, you know, in prone on their belly, if they lift their right arm up in the air, they're going to stabilize through their left glute to counterbalance that diagonal. Now that doesn't mean that the right glute is totally sleepy. We will see asymmetries on the same side as well. But um, what has your experience been with that maybe on the yoga mat, as opposed to where I see, have seen a lot of it on the treatment table. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, you could have a weakness ipsilaterally, you know, that left glute and left shoulder, but I do see it a lot in the, you know, in that back sling. I, I think of it like overalls or something. If you have suspenders, they can go up and over and there's like some amount of kind of, you know, support, but then you also see the ones that go up and then they cross and back. And those give a different sense of support. Um, so it's not just a loop, but like you said, it is very much like the architecture in nature and in buildings where we need that kind of trestling that, and the thing about fascial lines is what they really are indicative is that the muscles work along that chain. So if you're weak in your left scapula muscles, you're not activating and sending the same signals 
across to the right glute as you would if those are really strong. Those strong connections are, are harnessing part of our core, which is our back and our sides, you know, because together it's usually like the, the lateral rib cage, like our serratus and on the back, the rotator cuff muscles, and then the lats. And they all kind of intertwine and then go across this very thick thor- thoracodorsal fascia. So it could go along the same line in the, in the you know, in, in regards to like the latissimus, or it can go along that fascial line which like you mentioned, one area is stabilizing, one area is moving. So if they're both not stabilizing well, it, um, it doesn't give the whole body that sense of like pulled in support. And so, yeah, I definitely see it. I see it like say in quadruped, if you have, when we do like bird dog, you know, some people, if their arm that's reaching out, it doesn't have a lot of strength in the reach and the hold that destabilizes the spine, the scapula on the spine, all the way down into the pelvis. And so lifting the opposite leg feels a lot less, it just feels a lot less stable. So it, it shows up in, in many different ways, and I'm not at all surprised she noticed that. And of course, that's her great investigation and observation skills. So yeah, we want to strengthen, that's why we want to strengthen the whole core cylinder. You know, we, we talk about front body, back body, side, and all that. But really, it's all connected. And it all influences other parts, other muscles, because the muscles, we we name them as such, but they're not islands. They have the interaction with the surrounding neighboring muscles, but the neighboring muscles all the way down, down the line. So in that case, it's the you know shoulder all the way down to the, the other pelvis. So yeah. Yeah. And I think the key too is the balance. You know, it's finding that it's create because, you know, we talk about strengthening the whole core cylinder and then looking for those imbalances, which is what Jessica saw. She, she could see, oh, wow, that's not, that's not balanced. And, um, you know, that's the beauty, I think, of what we're doing in these teacher trainings is teaching people who love the body how to observe and, and how to pick up on those little nuances that create balance in the body. We want balance in nature. We want balance in our body. And, um, and those diagonal slings. Yes. And the other place I would say, I see it on the yoga mat is say in a lunge, like a crescent lunge, or even standing in Tadasana and lifting the arms up. You see a lot of these classical trained vinyasa people lift up and really push the rib cage out. And what that is doing is it is in essence, somewhat destabilizing the shoulder and tilting in the pelvis with when anytime you tilt the pelvis and the rib cage goes out, you it's much harder to, to engage that glute. So that brain mapping stays. So you every time you lift your arms in a low lunge and a higher lunge, you're destabilizing that area and you're really relying on just moving movement of the rib cage. It shortens the back body. And, and again, what you were just saying about balance, like we want balance where we're not tightening those erectors and the quadratus lumborum, they are having to try and stabilize the thorax and the pelvis. And instead, if we hold in the front ribs and get length in the side body, everything comes in to stabilize the container a lot more efficiently. Which is amazing that the most popular cue is relax the glutes with extension. It's like, what? I know. (laughs) I mean, cobra, locust, everything where you're lifting up. Why in the world would you cue that? Bury that cue, please. Bury the cue. And if anybody says that, you know, really just ignore them because it's 
it's going to hurt your back. It's just going to hurt yeah. your sacrum, your back. It, yeah. And it, and it really just reinforces suboptimal movement. All right. So the next question is Extine Yogaria. She says, I became a better reader after practicing lit. How does the magic happen? I just love that. Well, That's yeah. Um, why it happens is because we are stimulating our brain in a very complex way. You know, we're not just going through, I was making this comment the other day in, in teacher training is it's interesting when people want to just kind of get on the mat and go on autopilot. And if you do that, you're not, your brain isn't stimulated. It's like, oh, you're just doing something automatic. Well, I don't have to think. So, hmm, okay. Some might say that's interesting, but that's not what we're actually going for. Even in mindfulness or meditation, you're not going for the lack of thinking. You're actually going into the skill of honing your focus so that your brain is really awake and you feel stuff. You know, all the parts of the brain are percolating. And that's what they've shown in meditation, that the brain centers just, they light up differently and all of, because you're focusing. So A, I think it's because we focus so much on alignment, on form, on transitions. You're never going asleep. And that is sparking the neurons. And that is sparking the connections. That's increasing the synaptic complexity where, where these neurons come together, that carries over into daily life. You feel more awake. You feel more focused, more calm. And to your point, uh, to Christine's point here, you're able to read because reading is meditation in a, in a sense. You are focusing and you're concentrating. So focus is the ability to kind of hone in, but it might be just like I can hone in for a minute. Concentration is going deeper. It's the depth of the focus. And that's required if you're reading, reading multiple pages. It's holding on to the focus for an extended period of time and not being distracted by external stimuli. And, you know, that um, practice is what we do on the mat. Like we're moving and we are in it. Things can be happening all around. I always say the practice of yoga is really manifesting. When you are, when there's a lot of shit happening around you, you could be in a noisy location. There could be kids and puppies and all that. And you are just in it. You are undisturbed by that. So that is that concentration. And that's when our brain is not ping-ponging around like it is so often in life. So it, it, it's wonderful to see that you notice that. I think a lot of people notice a lot of things, calmness and strength and increased capacity in all forms. But one is definitely in our, in our cerebral cortex, our ability to sustain our focus and have that concentration. Well, I think, I mean, and it's been proven in the science, um, but both of my two older children have been diagnosed with attention deficit of the, in, the uh, inattentive type. Um, so not the hyperactive, but they, they get inattentive. So reading is very hard for them. And, but Betsy, my oldest, who's in college, you know, she, she practices my early classes because she says, I I'm always better able to focus in college after I've done my yoga with you, mom. And I truly believe that she is stimulating that frontal cortex because we are on autopilot. She's what, you know, listening to me. It's always different. It's always, you have to be thinking. And so it's like her natural ADHD medication that it stimulates, gets the frontal cortex going, and then she's ready 
to absorb. And, and, and they say the same thing about a lot of different types of exercise. And, and so I work with an integrative um, physician for both of my kids. And, you know, he talks about, you know, it's not just medication. It is, it's supplements, it's, it's exercise. It's, we need to get that frontal cortex involved because that's where the disconnect is when you have an inattentiveness, which is usually what I think difficulty reading is. It's, if you can't focus, it's, it's hard to read and, and reading what man, once you get, you know how it is. Like once you get into a book, you can just cruise because it becomes like you said, a meditation of sorts. But if you have the brain type or currently, I think everybody nowadays with all of our phone distractions and my Lord, it's my, even my youngest is now picking up and saying, mom, I need to give you my phone when I get home so I can focus. Like she knows already almost, she's 13, almost 14, what a distraction that is. And so taking those distractions away and then doing something like lit, that is like you said, not autopilot at all. It becomes your folk. You have to concentrate. You're lighting up that frontal lobe and really, you know, getting those synapses going. And I think that's so cool that Christine feels that and has noticed that just since she started practicing lit. And that's what lit is. That's like the lit up feeling. Yes, it's a wonderful acronym, but I wouldn't have just picked it if it wasn't purposely describing what we are aiming to feel, which is we want to feel lit up. We want to feel focused. We want to feel charged, you know, and exercise is priming our brain. You know, if for people who are putting it off, putting, you've got to get going, you got to get moving, do it whatever you can. But the lit method is really um, so purposeful in that it is doing a variety of different movements we don't do in daily life. And it is novelty where the brain really awakens, right? That's why when we do something different, it has a magical impact on our brain. It just, we feel spark plugs. And so, yes, we can't say, we can't say enough good things. So practice lit people. Oh, this is so many good questions. So last one we'll end with home life 11. Would you, would love more on menopause, like which vitamins you take? So I guess I would be the one to talk about this. Yes. So with menopause, you know, first of all, everyone is different. So I would absolutely recommend finding an integrative doctor like you have for your kids, like I have for myself, because the integrative doctor is looking at all the systems, not just like, oh, what's happening in your uterus and ovaries, but how that impacts, you know, your liver, how it impacts your thyroid, how it impacts. So everyone might, everyone is going to respond to menopause differently. So for me, menopause has increased my cortisol, which means that I, even though I don't feel stressed, my, some of my measurements, my stress is a little bit higher. The cortisol, what happens in the middle of the night is, is it, it's peaking when it shouldn't be. And so I take um, some herbs for that. You know, I, I don't know the name of them off the bat, but they're from my doctor. And so that's one impact for menopause. My thyroid went into a little bit of blah. So I have to, I'm taking herbs for that as well. But I have definitely, I mean, I take multivitamin. I do it twice a day. I take a bone. Uh, it's a, I forgot what it's called. Something bone, bone, bone builder. This is all from Life. Ex- Most of these are from Life Extension, which is a great supplement company. And I'm not at all sponsored by them. Although, hello, I could be. Um, because I seriously order so much from there, but they're really, really reasonably priced. 
They are um, highly recommended. There's no additives. There's none of that junk you can get when you do buy it from kind of over the counter at some of these like local stores. So you do need to make sure of the quality that you're taking. So I take a bone builder and I take four of these big pills a day. And that is because I got it after menopause, you are, or during menopause, even perimenopausal, you are after 32, you're losing bone density. So it just continues to get worse. So um, I do that. I take vitamin D, I take vitamin B12, and those are all combined with other things like vitamin D and K. You know, there's more and more research. It's not just the vitamin D we're lacking. It's the other elements, vitamins that that help the vitamin D be absorbed. So vitamin K is one of those. So you need to take those together. I do know that. But my biggest uh, kind of request for anybody who's in, like, go and take care of yourself and get an integrative doctor to look at all of your numbers, to do the blood work. I just had blood drawn today. I have a blood, I check, my blood is checked like five times a year. I mean, it, I probably hadn't had it done since I was pregnant, but they're monitoring. They're monitoring my hormones. They're monitoring my thyroid. So they're monitoring the different estrogen and the testosterone and progesterone. And I, I can't recommend that enough because I feel great. And I wouldn't even know I'm, you know, in menopause. I, I personally don't have any of the symptoms. So that helps a lot. But I have to credit a lot. I've been doing this now for three and a half years. So please go and find a good doctor. When did you start? When did you decide like, oh, I need to start addressing this? Because that's, I am not in menopause. I don't even know that I'm in perimenopause yet. Yeah. So I actually, it was just, it was kind of random. I was, my period was starting to be irregular, which it had never been. I mean, I was like clockwork every 28 days, ever since I started my cycle at, you know, on the 13 and a half years old. And so when it started to just, I just noticed that. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And my OBGYN said nothing about it. She's like, well, maybe it's because you're just, you know, thin and, and you're kind of, you know, that's why you're, because bl- everything, every, she didn't say anything more. And I happened to be at this business luncheon for um, women entrepreneurs. And I was sitting next to this integrative doctor and we were talking and I was just talking to her. I was so fascinated. And I, I started to tell her some stuff and I was like, I should come to you. And I never thought about it. You know, I just went to my primary. Everything was always fine. I went to my OBGYN. Things were fine. And I went to her and just kind of more out of curiosity after talking to her. And she sat down with me for two and a half hours and went through everything. And I was like, I I think like, wow, I didn't know so much. As an educated person, I didn't realize how important hormones were. What they, I thought hormones were just for reproduction they affect every single system in our body. So when she started telling me all that and we did my blood work and I mean, it was, it was incredible. So yeah, that was, that was it. It was really kind of dumb luck. I just sat next to her at this luncheon and I was curious and asked questions. And I thought, why wouldn't I do that for myself? Even though I didn't. So this is another plug is don't wait until you have something wrong with you. Like that is the problem with our modern medical model. It is based on sickness, not on preventative care. And if we, we only have one body, we only have one self, like take care of yourself. Like I spend extra money going to her. It's totally worth it. I would like, there's certain things I don't even think about the money, you know, and it's taking care of myself and eating well. And then I just dress like I've been dressing for since I was a teenager. And that's where I don't spend my money. So prioritize your health because, you know, it, once you don't have it, that's when you really know how fucking important it is. And you don't want to wait until that. 
No, trust me and trust Kristen. You just have to be in the healthcare system enough to see so many people when they no longer have the health and the everything else becomes so much less important and everything else becomes so much less like functional because if you don't have your health, everything else, your work, your family life, your ability to just interact with the world, it is all impacted by not having good health. So preach. Here I am. Oh yeah. Take care of yourself, people. All right. That was wonderful. We'll get back with more questions next week, but you can always write us. Instagram uh, message is a great way to find us because we really are active on there. My email box is overloaded. So please DM me, Lara.Hyman or Kristen at KBWilliams99. We are here for you. We love answering your questions and we hope that we're helping you in any way in all the ways. Thank you, sister. You're welcome. Love you. I love you. And we are pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.